Welcome to Sky Team's People First with Morag Barrett. All right, my guest this week is Colleen Stanley, who is the CEO and founder of Sales Leadership, uh, an international and local training company based here in Colorado, where I am also living. She has been recognized by Salesforce as one of the leading experts when it comes to developing sales leadership and sales organizations. And I'm excited to talk to her today about her latest book, Emotional Intelligence for Sales Leadership. But Colleen, firstly, welcome. Thank you, Greg. Um, my, oh, I'm looking forward to the conversation. But my first question is actually, let's go back to basics, because people first were all about the leadership journey. So as you flash back to elementary school or grade school, where did you imagine your career was going to go? What did you think you were going to be today? You know, I grew up in the Midwest on a farm. And so I think my aspirations were the models I had there, which were very good, but it was probably going to be a farmer's wife, right? And then in our small town, uh, one of the things that's great about a small town is you have great community, you get to show up to a lot of things, but we weren't really exposed to a lot of different ideas. So I was either going to be a, a medical secretary, that was somewhat in my head, and then I also went to Catholic grade school. So being a nun at some point crossed my mind as well, but flunked that program pretty early in life. Okay, so what was the pivot point then that moved you into being a sales professional and now a leader and a coach and a guide to sales organizations? So I would say I'm one of these people that has had a very fortunate life and serendipitous life. Um, so I did not have the... I, I wherewithal to even think I was going to end up in sales. And so I was very fortunate to be exposed to a small company out of Memphis, Tennessee, uh, Varsity Spirit Corporation. They're now one of the largest in the world in their industry. And they are a classic American success story. They were a very, very small company. And now, again, billion dollar company, but they were taking on new salespeople. They were just starting to build out their sales force. And so they would be willing to take on people like me who had little to no experience. But if you had high desire, high work ethic, they were willing to add you to that first sales team. So I, I really just got very, very lucky on joining a great company, wonderful bosses and mentors. I, I could talk for days about them, which I do in both of my books. So that's how I got into sales. Okay, so mentors for you, and now you are the mentor and the leader for others. And as I mentioned, Salesforce has already recognized you as one of the leading experts. And I know this book, Emotional Intelligence for Sales Leadership, is not your first, but there is a theme of emotional intelligence that runs through them. So for those who are listening who may not be familiar with the concepts, how do you define emotional intelligence? Oh, and you know, there's so many definitions out there. Uh, if I had to distill it one for our talking points today, it's really having the awareness of what emotions you're feeling, why you're feeling the emotion, and probably most important, how the emotions affect how you show up. But you can actually take that definition and then do the other awareness. What are other people thinking or feeling? How are their emotions uh, affecting how they're showing up? and how they're showing up, how it affects your interaction with them. So I would say it's a lot of self-awareness, other awareness to distill it down to maybe the first definition for our conversation. Mm -hmm. So why does that matter for sales leaders or sales organizations? So, you know, I got exposed to this concept many, many years ago through, and you may know Marty Lassen and Scott Helper, mm -hmm. right? So 
they were both teaching it in the uh, the um, uh, with some of their clients. And Marty came to me and she said, you absolutely need to be teaching this to your salespeople. I didn't even know there were two words that were put together called emotional intelligence, mm-hmm. right? I'm very steeped and still am in consultative sales training. And so I want to remind everybody, skill training is very important, right? Negotiation skills, asking questions, asking for the business, quantifying the problem. However, when I got exposed to emotional intelligence, I realized this is absolutely the knowing and doing gap. And I'll give a quick example. Every prospect or every sales manager will complain that their salespeople don't ask enough questions, mm-hmm. right? They present too soon, do a product out. Now, it is not for lack of questioning models out there, right? It is no longer a knowledge issue. What I find is often salespeople will get emotionally triggered and they start talking too fast, too soon. They get nervous and that can lead into the product up. So if you're not training on both skills, yes, the consultative skills, but emotion management, impulse control, self-awareness, often they don't execute the hard skills that most sales organizations spend a lot of time and money on. So it's, it's really the knowing and doing gap. It's the knowing and doing gap. So once we close that gap, what's the benefit then that an organization or a, an individual sales expert can expect to see? Well, I, I would say you know this even better than me with the world that you live in, teach in, um, are so good in. You eliminate a lot of drama, right? I mean, so you think about it, emotionally intelligent people in general, salespeople, you lessen the drama because you've got self-accountability, self-responsibility, self-awareness. One thing I would say, emotional intelligence is the core of just building great cultures there, right? But the other thing as far as, let's just really go to the bottom line. You see consistent execution of the right selling behaviors. And so, for example, a, a place that I'll see salespeople get derailed a lot is they're meeting with a good negotiator, right? And because okay. negotiators negotiate, they love to negotiate. So you take them through the negotiation course. But again, if you don't teach them self-awareness, emotion management, the salesperson starts discounting too soon or too often, defending, justifying, overselling, all those weird selling behaviors. So right there, you have margin erosion, not due to lack of negotiation skills necessarily, but uh, absolutely the ability to not manage your emotions during a tough sales conversation. Okay. So what drove you to write the second book? Why specifically the the need now for a chapter two or edition two focused on sales leadership? Well, my belief and observation, and I'm a former VP of sales, I had a sales team of 130 sellers across the country, is a sales managers often get set up to fail, right? And if you think about it, it's the, the movie we've seen the rerun on a lot of times, right? Top sales producer gets promoted to sales manager only mm-hmm. the right turn. Because all of those selling skills that they've been honing for years, which are great, are very different than the skills to lead and develop a team. Hiring good salespeople, which is not only the hard skills, but the soft skills, hiring salespeople with empathy, impulse control, assertiveness, optimism. How do you transfer the skills that made you a top producer? So really understanding the neuroscience of teaching and transferring knowledge and frankly, tapping into your own delayed gratification to take the time to continue to teach and repeat. So I found that these are well-intended people, 
And then they're just getting set up to fail because they don't learn the new skills and they don't learn both the skills, EQ and the hard skills. So how will I know that I've got a gap? What are some of the mistakes or the symptoms that I might either personally observe or observe in my team that says, oh, emotional intelligence might be what we need? Well, you know, I think one that's pretty quick to spot and, and, it, and it's very tough for a sales leader or any leader is if you've made the mistake of hiring someone that is not coachable. Now, hmm. back to the EQ world, I contend that you've probably hired someone that doesn't have what I would call high self-regard, right? And if you study okay. self-regard, it's really that inner confidence. But when you're confident, you have the ability to raise your hand and admit your strengths and weaknesses, right? So if I've got somebody that's really not confident when I give them well-intended feedback, and I might do it perfectly, right? The good old sandwich method, you know, mm -hmm. you know here's what you need to improve on, something positive. They will push back, right? And two things can happen there. The manager can get emotionally triggered. So then you're fighting for the, you know, need to be right rather than getting it right. Or they just keep coaching someone that frankly will never hear the information. Okay, so that's one place that I, I see it happening. And then I would say in the development of people with sales leaders, you know, empathy is probably the most important influence skill, whether it's in sales or leadership. And so I have been so guilty of this. And oh, by the way, on the assessments, I have high empathy. You get me into a coaching conversation, problem solving skills come into play. I might yeah. Greg, okay, sorry to hear that disappointment. Sorry to hear that deal went away. Let's get back at it. Yeah. Poor salesperson that's just saying, could you demonstrate what I'm thinking or feeling right now? I'm a loser. Everybody else is hitting their numbers. It's a tough time to sell. So, you know, developing empathy, which is empathy first, your great advice second. So those are so so those are some of the reasons because I see really well-intended sales managers out there, but if they haven't been taught the other 50% of the skills to be successful, they're not getting to their end result or the company's end result. So it's not just the, the reducing the volatility of who's showing up in those sales conversations, it's building resilience to stay in the game when you're getting the no's or it's not going to plan. You just used a word that I'm sure you're hearing a lot from your clients, resiliency. And I actually, not to overpromote the book, but obviously by the oh, back. please do. Um, I am. And, but I uh, devoted an entire chapter on stress management because this was another area that you think about it as leaders. We really don't uh, get taught how to interview people that are pretty resilient, but even resilient people are being challenged right now, right? I mean, I'm seeing people that... You know, prior to COVID, people in our industry, they're just kind of like serious. You know? mm -hmm. how, how many more days of this do we have? And so one of the concepts you can teach a sales leader is hire people with internal locus of control, meaning mm -hmm. it's up to me. And their focus is what can I focus on? What can I control? What's my perspective towards this adversity versus, as I know, you know, external locus of control people unless the stars line up perfectly, they don't believe they can be successful. Mm -hmm. You know, with all the research I've seen, resilient people have some very, very common trends. And, and one that I've seen is internal locus of control. Hire for it, but continue to develop it. So you talked there about the chapter on resilience. What else will people discover within the book? 
You know, I think something when you talk about resiliency, I believe one of the things that you've got to take a look at, and I think it's a hidden factor on distress management, is really as a sales leader, modeling the behavior for high performance. And one of those behaviors is simply paying attention. So I have seen this more than once, and I saw it more pre-COVID. You know, you, you come mm-hmm. in, and the first thing you do, it's supposed to be a skill meeting, right? And everybody pops up their laptops, and then they put their adult binky, you know, the cell phone, the adult binky. And, and <laughs> it's the craziest thing, right? Yes. And so you've got people multitasking. They're not paying attention to their team members. And we all know that if you're multitasking, it causes stress, no learning occurs. And so I encourage sales managers to teach their team focus because if you back up focus, it's a paying attention skill. Okay. You're going to be great in sales. Empathy, the core of empathy is paying attention. The core of listening is paying attention. But we've got these corporate cultures that they're just training people to be distracted. And then they wonder why people are stressed out, dropping out and burning out. So uh, 20 years ago, when I was in corporate, I didn't have that much to worry about on focus because we didn't have all this technology, right? So it's a gift, but you got to learn how to manage the gift. So I'm curious, given the current environment where we're now, many of us, working from home, working remotely, communicating through the two dimension that is Zoom or whatever, how are you seeing that impact sales leaders both in how they show up, but how they need to to adapt their approach to this current environment? You know, there is, um, there's some struggle with it. I'm hearing this a lot from my sales leaders. And so one of the things I encourage them to think about is, you know, and we know it that in society, anytime there's a new something you can sell and, and get some momentum on. So remote sales management is so new. Well, it actually isn't. Uh, when I started in sales management, I had all of my sellers were in virtual offices, right? However, this is what I do want to say. We weren't, we didn't start them in a corporate office. So what, mm-hmm. what application is, is people chose to work in an office and sales. They love the camaraderie, the environment almost can mm-hmm. you right? You got the hallway conversations, got the high five. That's yep. the and so I think what's making the remote management difficult for a lot of the sellers is I didn't choose this. Mm-hmm. You know what it's like when change is forced on you. Um, it doesn't feel good. So they are struggling with it. So one of the things I coached a lot of sales leaders on is get more intentional about your coaching conversation. You may have to up the coaching conversation. And another tip I've given a lot of people is, I want you to recreate what a day in the life looked like for the sellers that used to come into offices, right from the time mm-hmm. they were to their desk. And how many of those moments can you recreate? Um, so I just think you've got to be a lot more intentional about communication at this time. I like what you're saying there, because everything at the moment now is a scheduled Zoom call. And whether that's one-to-one or one-to-many, it's... 8 a.m., 9 a.m., 10 a.m., 11 a.m., it's back-to-back, non-stop Zoom. And yeah. to your point, we're mo- we're, we have not yet innovated as to how do you replace the ad hoc conversation and you bump into somebody yeah. in the elevator or at the break yes. room or as you're walking from your desk to the next meeting um, or at the networking event, which doesn't happen live right. currently right now. It's all of those little human interactions that make things sticky that do two mm-hmm. things. One is give me a sense of belonging. 
and also that sense of stability of I'm successful in this environment. All I know now is I'm working on my own and I didn't exactly. choose to be at home. Choosing and, and, and having to are different things. It, and you know what? And I think it's, it's choosing. And I do think there's a difference in the age that you are. And this isn't getting into, uh, you know, millennial bashing or whatever you want to call it. But I see with my young sellers, they don't have the 10 or 15 years of experience. So it is nice if they have been in an office where they could immediately raise their hand, either from a peer or a manager. So I do think we've got to be very conscious of, of that. So it may mean, you know, we do a daily huddle. So what I've seen a lot of my mm-hmm. students do, that's always been a great best practice. I think the Ritz-Carlton probably deserves credit for that. But instead of doing one, they're actually doing three. Two. Oh, wow. Yes. Yeah. So they're increasing that. And then I think also this goes back to basic 101, but know your people. So I know even when I had remote sellers, and because we were a startup, we were managing way too many people all the time. I think I had 18 direct reports at one time. But I remember I had a seller in Minnesota, and I know I knew her pretty well, and I knew she needed a phone call of the day. Mm-hmm. She, she just needed at the end of the day to report to somebody. I accomplished this, I did this, and I yeah. And then I had other sellers that were like, why are you calling me? I, I, did I do something wrong? <laughs> so it, it, it is always that you can't mass uh, market, you can't mass manage. Yeah, I love that. I think what, what you're suggesting and what I'm seeing with the clients that we're working with, it's making the implicit explicit. And certainly in this current working environment, it is recalibrating the rules of engagement and not making assumptions around what individuals need or how we're going to communicate and work together as a team. And so scheduling those conversations and talking about what's working and what's not is even more important today than it was when we were working side by side. Right. And, and, you know, I think it's uh, losing some judgment because I think some people feel like I should like remote selling. What's wrong with me? But, you know, I was making a joke many, many years ago. Everybody says, I want to work from a home office. And I said, well, that's great. But why is Starbucks and all the other coffee shops so full? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Back in the day. And so this is where, and I'm sure you've um, studied the model of Maslow's hierarchy of Mm -hmm. needs. And I've been showing that to a lot of my sales leaders lately. You know, one and two is physiological, psychological needs. And the third need to be met is love, community, and belonging. Mm-hmm. And these people to be self-actualized, do better, be better, you know, adapt to this new environment. Well, I'm sharing with my managers, if you haven't really met uh, and, and fulfilled levels one, two, and three, hard for them to be operating at peak performance right now. Yeah, absolutely. It is. And it's one conversation at a time and yes. one person at a time that you you keep those connections and that stickiness and sense of team going. Right. So right. in terms of the work that you're doing and people listening, what are the first steps that somebody should take? Ordering the book and reading it. I, I cannot recommend that enough. That yes. goes as a basic table yes. stakes. <laughs> but if I'm sitting here and thinking, okay, I'm, I, I want to reflect my own EQ level. Um, what, where do I start? What are those first steps that a leader can take? Well, as you and I both know, awareness, I I do believe awareness is your first step because that which you're not aware of, you cannot change. That which you're not aware of, you're bound to repeat. So um, you can take some informal assessments. You can ask your peers. I mean, it doesn't always have to be on paper, 
But I would also say become aware of where you think your strengths are and your weaknesses. But the problem is a blind spot is called a blind spot for a reason, mm-hmm. right? I mean, yeah. I'm a teller. I'm just a great teller. So I can teach this all day. And then all of a sudden, one day, my husband will say, are, are you telling me or asking me? That's <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. so I constantly be reminded. But then I would say the second thing is make a decision. Because, you know, once you make a decision that this body of work is important, it will be like anything else you've done in life. You get very good at it. And so I think it's like, make a decision. Do you really believe some of these skills like assertiveness gets rid of passive aggressive aggressive behavior? Impulse gets rid of people blurting out things that they told mm-hmm. saying, all right, lack of empathy uh, ends up with people not feeling, you know, heard heard so they don't listen to anything you say make a decision is it important because you've learned things before you can absolutely learn these skills as well and to your point you talked about millennials earlier on and it's through no fault of their own because the research continues to show that emotional intelligence is something that we can learn and grow and so in our youth we haven't got that emotional bank of experiences to draw on but as we get through our career and as we start to encounter good days and tough days and COVID curveball years or whatever, then we learn to be, we've got more to pull from to be able to adapt in the moment. And that's, that's the reassuring thing about EQ. It's not just for the young. It's not just for the more mature. It is critical for every single one of us, no matter what career or industry we're in. It it is. And, And I would say for the younger audience out there, remember they you've been presented with a new set of challenges in developing your EQ. And the research is pretty solid here. I think it was University of Michigan, 2001, 2004, did a study, and it showed that empathy, that particular EQ skill, had decreased as much as 40% in the millennium. And why? Because they grew up with technology. And Mm -hmm. technology can't show you how your words and actions are landing on another human being. So, and that's the way you develop empathy. And so again, it's not to do the bashing, it's simply pay attention because there's some things, these digital natives, it is great. I mean, they are so good at some of the technology, but pay attention to where you may need to work a little harder where folks like you and I didn't because we grew up in this kind of conversation every day. Mm -hmm. So that, immediately triggers a thought to me, a predictable surprise for our future. We're all working from home. The youth of today are all studying remotely. So they're not, to your point now, getting that human interaction and learning through the school of hard knocks, when to push, when to listen, when to to step in or not. So what's the advice? What's one thing we could all do whilst working from home to remain keep those human connections going? You know, I I think it it, it is really becoming intentional about it. And so to the point of where if you take a look at your calendar, right, because we're all very busy and we're efficient. And I got to tell you, there's been just a ton of work adapting to COVID, right? Mm -hmm. Like the paint job in our new room. Mm -hmm. Very nice. But, But the intentional is look at your calendar and have you literally calendar block relationship building time. Um, We love key performance metrics. Do you have a key performance metric for developing relationships? And that might sound kind of cold, 
But I have to tell you, you can get so busy, like you said, you're on one Zoom call, the next Zoom call, and the next Zoom call. And so I've seen this with very busy, productive people. I often say, well, where's your calendar for relationship building? So I think you've got to get very intentional about it. I love that. So, Colleen, as we come to the end of our time, what are the final thoughts you want the people lead, listening and watching this video podcast to take away? You know what I'd, I'd love for them to take away? And part of the reason you, know, you asked the question, why did I even start exploring this topic is because I realized that my lack of emotional intelligence, you know, never lacked a work ethic. Again, been very fortunate to be in some great positions, but my own lack of EQ damaged some relationships, right? And I thought, you know what, this is preventable. And so my goal for anybody listening today is study it. And, and whether it's for personal or professional, it makes for a better life. Again, less drama, more kindness, more empathy, more assertiveness, you know, all the skills that are needed in the right capacity there. So uh, to me, it's, it's one of these great gifts that's out there. Take advantage of it. Yeah. So business is personal. Relationships matter. And relationships are emotional at their root. So emotional intelligence, Absolutely. it's critical. So thank you. So Colleen, you. How, how can people get a hold of you? Uh, visit our website. We've got a lot of great tools on there. It's www.salesleadershipdevelopment.com. And we actually um, created a salesperson assessment, EQ assessment. So it's all geared towards sales. But if somebody wants to take a free assessment just to start uh, getting familiar with this, um, and then if they want to reach out to you, anyone that's purchased the book, um, we've got a book study guide. It's not on the, actually, if they go to our website and order the book, you'll get a lot of bonus tools at this point. So I remember the bonus tools are still Fantastic. I'll make sure that all of that information is included in the show notes around this video. Colleen, Great. thank you so much for the conversation today and sharing the insights on emotional intelligence. I wish you every continued success. Thank you. Thanks for having me as your guest. Thank you so much for joining Morag today. If you enjoyed the show, please like and subscribe so you don't miss a thing. If you learned something worth sharing, share it. Cultivate your relationships today when you don't need anything before you need something. Be sure to follow Sky Team and Morag on LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And if you have any ideas about topics we should tackle, interviews we should do, or if you yourself would like to be on the show, drop us a line at infoskyteam.com. That's S-K-Y-E team.com. Thanks again for joining us today. And remember, business is personal and relationships matter. We are your allies.